Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. There's been an awakening. Have you felt it? I'm not Mike Pilot. I'm Bobby Roberts. Welcome to episode 130 of Full of Sith. Uh, with me are my co-hosts, Amy Ratcliffe. Say hi, Amy. Hello. And uh, Brian Young. What's up, Brian? Uh, a lot of Star Wars. Oh, indeed. Let's let's just let's do the rundown real quick here. Look, you heard the 15 seconds that rocked the world, and by rocked the world, I mean got StarWars.com way more Instagram followers. Uh, let's go ahead and just. Let's just do it. Amy. Loved hearing the new music. I loved the bits of the Imperial March that were buried within that 15 seconds. And the ending was pretty exciting. I'm trying to think of a word that doesn't sound too inappropriate, but I am all for all the teases. Mm. I'm tease hungry. So I am one of those people that will laugh up. I'm like, nine new seconds of footage. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Brian. You know, I got a little emotional watching Finn there that first time. What? No, yeah, I know, you, right? What me emotional about Star Wars? Never. No, uh, I know I'm a sucker. <laughs> uh, but no, no, what I love, what I love about these teases is that we have one completely out of context shot of Finn igniting Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber, mm. and uh, he's gone from stormtrooper to Jedi in the space of a minute and a half of trailers. Yeah, everyone seems to know exactly what's on this kid's resume. Like, all you have to do is see two seconds of him and you know exactly what he's all about in the entirety of the movie. That seems to be how the Internet is reacting. Uh, And I shouldn't say the Internet because the Internet is just people. It's like Soylent Green. It's just people. That's all the Internet is, is people. It's made of people. Um, And people seem to, like when that first teaser hit, oh, he's a stormtrooper. Well, maybe he can't be a stormtrooper. There's no such thing as black stormtroopers. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) What is he? What could he possibly be? I'm like, well, you're, you're looking at him. And now... We see him igniting a lightsaber, and people are like, what? what? Stormtroopers can't be Jedi. Is he a Jedi? You gotta be a Jedi, because you can't hold a lightsaber if you're not a Jedi, right? I don't know, but I, I got to thinking also, like, me and my stupid fan theories, right? <laughs> what? Windy. You fan Wait, theories, what? Brian? I know. Okay. It's like we don't even know you. <laughs> if, if Darth Maul could survive getting cut in half and dropping off of the Boo power generator, mm-hmm. couldn't Mace Windu conceivably uh, conceivably have survived his fall? And maybe he fathered a family. And maybe Finn is a Force-sensitive because he's related to Mace Windu. And now it's poetic justice because he's wielding the saber that cut off his father's arm. That's, wow. That's I deep. don't even know what to say 
that. <laughs> I'm saying that mostly as a joke, actually. Okay, but, good. But it fits the ring theory. <laughs> oh, let's uh, not. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not. Let's. No. It was a great 15 seconds of, of footage. It was. Although I do want to be the contrarian uh, and say that while I liked what Williams did with what seems to be that Imperial March riff. I wasn't necessarily happy with the fact that the Imperial March uh, is coming back in some shape or form. Like, I know it can't not because it's almost as iconic and representative of Star Wars as a whole as the actual Star Wars theme or the Force theme. But on the other hand, this is a movie that doesn't have an empire in it. Um, it would be nice if that theme didn't come along for the ride, but apparently a version of it is going to show up and it's hard to argue against how well it mixes with those lightsabers igniting. That moment was like, boom. And what I love is that the Instagram just loops. So just as you're starting to get over how cool that is, the Instagram starts again. You're like, oh, sucked in. It's like another hit straight to the veins. Uh, Give it to me. But uh, I did want to address that initial bit of reaction uh, regarding Finn and lightsabers and Jedi, and he must be a Jedi because only Jedi can wield lightsabers. Um, like we we know we know that's not the case. Like a whole lot of screen caps of Han Solo holding a lightsaber on Hoth started floating around uh, immediately after that. Well, like, could you imagine if they used that shot of Han igniting a lightsaber and all the marketing material for Empire and everybody going like, he's a Jedi now? Exactly, <laughs> and that that's sort, that could be what's happening right now. I, I mean, you can go back even further. Luke had a lightsaber attached to his belt for the entirety of Star Wars. That kid wasn't a Jedi. That kid, that kid like stared straight down the barrel of the lightsaber at one point while fiddling with it. Um, the only time he ever actually whipped it out uh, was on the Millennium Falcon where they stuck a helmet over his head and he got shot in the ass like six times. Like he was not a Jedi, but he was allowed to turn a lightsaber on and wave it around. Um, so it's not <laughs> axiomatic that if you hold a lightsaber in a Star Wars movie, you're automatically a Jedi. The first two Star Wars movies that ever existed featured people waving lightsabers around that had no idea how to use them. Well, uh, and uh, there was that episode of Clone Wars where Ahsoka's lightsaber is stolen and it's wielded by a series of people who have no idea how the hell to use it. Yeah. So, That's I mean, right. it, yeah, it's, it's not it's not a given. It's not a given that Finn is a Jedi. But on the other hand, it could be a Jedi. Could be a really bad guy. Looks pretty, pretty Jedi like. Yeah. Speaking of other internet cool stuff, Rebels preview along with a poster and a release date. Amy, your thoughts. I am excited by meeting clones. I'm excited to see Kanan go up against Rex, given all the history he has with his, I was going to say unpleasant Order 66 experience, but there's really not such a thing as a pleasant (laughs) Order 66 experience. But he has a lot of baggage, but I'm more intrigued by Ahsoka going to look for answers for quest- or to her questions about the Sith Lord, because I don't think she knows that Vader is Anakin Skywalker. Not yet. I think maybe she suspects, but hmm. I'm excited to see her, well, excited and concerned to see her go down the path of confirming that. Yes. Brian, what do you think? I think she knows, but thinks that that idea is so absurd that she doesn't believe herself. I, you know, it's like when, when Vader, when Obi-Wan arrived on the Death Star, right? Like Vader knew instantly, like Obi-Wan's here. I know the presence of my old master. Why wouldn't that be the same for Ahsoka? I read it because he's so, it's been what, 15 years ish, give or take. 
Yeah, well, and he's also undergone like uh, a major change. Like, I don't think we heard uh, from Obi Wan going, "Ooh, that's definitely Anakin here somewhere." But Anakin was absolutely like, "Oh, that's Obi Wan," because Obi Wan was more or less the exact same good well, dude. Obi Wan knew that Anakin was Vader, though, and knew sure. that he was there, so sure. it wouldn't be any surprise to him. Which is why he starts trolling around the station with his lightsaber at the ready because he knows he's encountering him at some point. I don't trolling around. I don't know if he was trolling around the. You make it he sound was like he's certainly sort of, trolling those stormtroopers. Well, yeah, but yeah, you almost made it sound like he was just kind of, you know, luck be a lady tonight, swinging a lightsaber <laughs> around as he's strolling through the halls of the Death Star. I'm gonna catch me a Sith Lord eventually. A ba ba da ba, a do 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 do. When you're a jet, you're a jet from your first. Hey, Anakin, what's cracking? Like, I don't, I don't think he was trolling. No, not so much. No, and also, I don't think. Vader is not Anakin Skywalker anymore. Yeah, uh, there and is. And I think he has changed so much that she necessarily she wouldn't necessarily recognize yeah. her Anakin, her master in there. Yeah, I can see it from both angles. I can see it from both angles, and I hope that that's actually one of the mysteries that they sort of stretch out over the course of a uh, Rebel season two, because I I think that there's a lot of really big potential there, for compelling drama there. Here's the other thing, though: she has people close to her that know. She doesn't have to go searching for answers. She can turn around and ask Bail Organa. But does he know? That's the thing. But like, does he know that it's... Start- yeah, who really knows? You mean like Bail Organa is raising Princess Leia because Anakin went crazy and became Darth Vader. He knows all well, that context. But he knows Anakin went crazy. Does he know he became Darth Vader? Yeah, see, these are the sorts of questions. I, sort, I, like, I like the idea of Rebels maybe diving into that in its own weird ways. Um, maybe it's off as to the side. As long as there's maybe, no berries. Maybe, yeah, maybe if... Maybe it's, <laughs> no, jeez. As long as there's no... Moving on to the next point... We also should, uh, real quick, uh, discuss that Force Friday is coming really quickly. Uh, there's a YouTube event, actually, starting Wednesday evening and then wrapping up sometime on Thursday. Lucasfilm is going to be live streaming a bunch of different unboxings. Uh, you're going to be seeing a lot of the stuff that you're going to be able to purchase on Force Friday. And some, some are wondering, some are speculating if, since Lucasfilm has gone to the trouble of turning your capitalistic frenzy into free entertainment, that the grand finale for one of the world's biggest toy commercials ever will end up being one of the world's biggest commercials for the toy factory that is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Do you guys think it's a possibility that this long-rumored first full trailer will be dropping on Force Friday? What do you guys think? That had not crossed my mind. It certainly crossed my mind, but I'm of two minds about it, right? Hmm. Which mind did it cross? Both minds. Oh. My cerulean Kiati Mundi brain. Uh, <laughs> the first one. <laughs> hold on. Gonna, hold on. Time out. That was good. That was um, good. I appreciate that. All right. Continue. Um, paused. The first one is uh, the idea that They've already con- like Force Friday. Every news team or every news station in the country is going to have somebody like we're here at Toys R Us this morning where they're doing this, and it's all Star Wars, and there's frenzy, and look, it's like Black Friday all over again, but it's only September, and so they're already controlling the news cycle with that. The goal is to control as much of the news cycle as possible, and they've already won Force Friday. So why end that with the trailer? Because as soon as the trailer comes out, nobody's talking about the merchandise anymore. Uh, My thinking is if they're going to go to all this trouble to uh, coordinate live streams and make it a worldwide YouTube streaming event, 
why wouldn't you then considering you've got all eyes on you um, and you're converting all that media attention directly into uh, views for your YouTube channel, raising your YouTube profile um, like they just dropped 12 seconds, 15 seconds of new footage solely to get more Instagram subscribers. You know, they did like, you know, they were well, looking at Instagram you- rankings and like, who the hell is young Wheezy and why does he have 15 times more subscribers than we We're Star Wars. Drop some footage real fast and let's see if we can quadruple these numbers in a half hour. How many of us are going to sit around and watch 18 people we've never heard of? Yeah. Unboxed Star Wars toys. We're going to go buy in a few hours anyway. I'm going to I'm going to say roughly 135,000. I don't know if I would watch them live. But I would make it a point to watch most of them because I want to make plans about what I'm going to buy on Force Friday. Because I know there's the toy catalog, but I am such a, like, I have anxiety that I'm missing out on all kinds of things. Like Star Wars news, what toys are coming out, what books are coming out, that Mm -hmm. I want a complete picture. Yeah. So I would make it a point to hop around and look. I just, they would have to say now the new trailer is going to be the end of it to get me to watch it in the first place. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm just saying, I think it's, I think it's a possibility. Like if they're going to the trouble of organizing all this, trying to link everything up um, and turning it into a, a fairly big deal for them enough that they're putting out press releases and trying to get people to tune into YouTube uh, for a very long time, much like they just did with their own celebration. Um, it seems to me like it's a possibility at least that they could, you know, as, as the, you know, the cherry on top of this force Friday flood of wonderfulness, uh, give you a new commercial for the force awakens. I, I think, I think it's a possibility. I know uh, Bresnikan over at uh, entertainment weekly has been saying he's not sure that that's going to, be the case but he also hasn't gone out and written a blog post saying he definitely knows it's not the case so he's still leaving a bit of a window open because whenever he actually knows something he immediately turns it into a blog post um and people are like okay well we know for a fact he knows people at lucasfilm he's friends with jj um if he's saying he knows for certain it's not going to happen we can trust that it's probably not going to happen he hasn't he hasn't taken that step though he's on twitter like i don't know i don't see it happening but he hasn't heard one way or the other so i think that leaves the window open just enough for the possibility of this Instagram footage to be incorporated into a full trailer that we could be getting uh, on September 4th. At what point in their strategy have they released anything major with an announcement that it was coming? Oh, they announced the first teaser and made a big deal out of that. Okay. But the second one was just like we, we had no idea what we were getting into. And, and I guess they could be doing that with the YouTube, which is why we're not hearing in advance. But on a side tangent, mm-hmm. speaking of live streams, Amy and I at New York Comic Con next month are going to be on the New York Comic Con live stream talking about Star Wars. Uh, we've got like a 20 minute time slot on Friday, I believe, Ooh. or Saturday, one of the two. I'll, I'll get more details, but Amy and I are going to be talking about Star Wars together on their live stream. I should ask you this. Are either of you looking forward to the opportunity of being able to talk about Star Wars for 20 uninterrupted minutes, knowing that I'm nowhere near the vicinity? No, it'll be sad. <laughs> Everyone else I is like, enjoy man, having you on the show. They would be like, man, wouldn't it be a novelty to have those two show up and talk about Star Wars for an extended period of time without having that fat hobbit open his big fat potato mash and yap every 15 seconds? <laughs> Speaking of which, let's move on to the main topic of this week's show. We were just talking about Force Friday, and it's not just uh, for toys. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of reading material dropping that day as well aftermath 
And uh, it signals the flood of tie-ins for those of us willing to dive into that particular deep end of Star Wars. And it's not just a big day for people who like to play with their plastic. Um, it's a big day for followers of the canon. And as such, we are going to take stock of maybe the most active aspect of the new canon. Just in time for back to school, comics are going to be getting a report card from your friends here at Full of Sith. It, I mean, the new canon is about yeah. to pick up in a big way, and so we're going to go ahead and give a report card to the comics, who have been shouldering a lot of the, re- the storytelling responsibility of this new canon. And after we send home these report cards, we're going to have a parent-teacher conference with Kieran Gillen. Mm-hmm. Let's start, actually, with a comic that, for me, seems to be a little bit more maligned more than the others uh, amongst the readership. Uh, and I'm not quite sure why that is. Mark Wade's Princess Leia comic. Amy, I want to start with you. Give me some thoughts as to what you like about the comic, what you didn't like the comic. There are a few points I very much like, and just like, especially scenes Mark Wade has a, and, you know, Terry Dodson, mm-hmm. a great talent for capturing these powerful moments. The scene in, uh, on Naboo with Padme, the like the what do you call that the relief of her the painting of her yeah and i thought it was stained glass stained glass like that whatever it was it was beautiful and it worked really well i like how they write leia as a warrior and a fighter however i don't think the comic captures leia's voice there are a few moments where i just kind of raise my eyebrow i'm like i don't i don't think leia would hug that lady right now <laughs> or i don't think leia would do this or that and that's why as much as I love Leia and generally love everything Mark Wade writes, that's, I'm not going to grade it, but that is kind of towards the lower ranking of the current Marvel comics for me. All right. Brian, your thoughts on the Princess Leia comic? Um, I think I think Amy um, kind of hit the nail on the head with the comic for me. There's some things out of character, but there's a lot of things that I'm really glad it brought into the canon. One, um, it's the first thing that's post- Return of, or Revenge of the Sith that tries to even address or hint at what Naboo might have been like knowing that they produced the Emperor. Mm. I really love the character of Yvonne. Um, I really like what they're doing about uh, addressing diversity amongst pilots in the Rebel Alliance. And for me, I was very lukewarm on the, on the, the comic until I understood what I felt Mark Wade was doing. And it feels like Flash Gordon. He went back and he said, okay, what is Star Wars at its core? It's a Flash Gordon comic. And that's kind of what I got out of it. Reading it as one of those Flash Gordon adventures, I was able to derive enjoyment from it that way. What is the strongest strength, the most strengthest strong thing about the Princess Leia comic? Uh, Like just the one element of it that really stands out more than the others, Brian? Uh, that everyone in the Alliance High Command says, Leia, you have to do this. And she says, like, okay, I'll do that. Nope, not going to do that. <laughs> uh, Amy, the uh, the most standout element of the comic to you? Her mission of gathering the Alderanians and preserving that culture. I think that is very on point and very smart. Um, do you guys think that the interaction between Yvonne and Leia uh, works really well? Or is that sometimes a sticking point for you guys? The total sticking point for me, I think their relationship is too, it just doesn't, for me, did not ring true for what we saw of Leia, for example. Granted, we didn't see her interact with another female, Mm. but it just, her tone was off, like she bonded too quickly to Yvonne. I just didn't, it didn't work for me, that friendship. Isn't that, 
Isn't that weird, though, that it's like this comic book is the first time in the canon we've seen Leia interact with another female? weird and sad so maybe maybe this is how she'd react to yvonne because we've we've never been given a benchmark okay now story stuff aside uh we should uh tackle the dodson art you guys think dodson's putting in decent work on the book yes or no i've been a big fan of dodson's of of the dodson's collectively Mm -hmm. um for a long time since i owned my comic book store Sure, it was a little silly how perfectly manicured Leia was in every shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the medium of comics where every panel is sort of the the highest and best representation of that moment if we were seeing it in that way. And so even though it felt overly posed at times, that's exactly what they were hired to deliver. You know, I admit to not being terribly familiar with Dodson's work previous to this. This is like maybe my first experience mm-hmm. with his work, but I thought it was beautiful. I thought there were little things I like seeing, like I like seeing Leia put her hair up into those buns and knowing that she didn't have a servant somewhere following her around to put her hair in those ridiculous hairdos. Ridiculous and wonderful, but yeah. not always so practical. <laughs> but I thought he did a really dynamic job. He... He does feminine poses very well without making them like overtly sexy or ridiculous. His style appeals to me. Dodson's draw comics in a way that like, what if you had an unlimited budget on a Disney animated motion picture and you could draw every single cell as beautifully as you wanted to and there was no worry about time or anything? That's what Dodson's art looks like to me um and i've never had a problem with the art on the princess leia book and i think it's probably uh the best looking of all the star wars comics i think personally i think i like leia's interaction with yvonne a little bit more than both of you but i do agree that there are there are moments where wade just sort of shortcuts leia's reactions to things like obviously leia would probably have to work through a couple extra emotional beats in order to wind up at the places wade wants her to wind up at um and there's a couple times through the course of these five issues where he just kind of shortcuts it um and i know he's shortcutting it because i've read uh, a lot of his books before and i know that he knows how to write an emotional arc uh, very, very no, convincingly. His and, run on Fantastic Four is stunning. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he wrote, he's probably written the the single best Superman origin of all time with Birthright. So, I mean, like, there is, yeah. yeah, there's, there isn't a comic I can think of off the top of my head that Mark Wade has written poorly. Um, and Princess Leia is included in that. Uh, it's not a bad comic. It's just also not near the top tier of of Wade. Like, even middle-of-the-road Wade is still better than 85% of all the comics you're going to pick up, uh, but this is probably definitely more middle-of-the-road Mark Wade. So, what would you grade, Princess Leia? Uh, for the art, I would grade it an A. Mm-hmm. For the story, I would grade it a C-. minus. Overall, I'd say it's a C+. Plus. With the art, I'm also going to go with an A. Mm-hmm. I'm actually pretty similar to Brian. In the, the writing, I'm going to go solid C+. So I think overall, yeah, C+. Moving on to the next comic. Let's go with Kanan, The Last Padawan. Your immediate thoughts on Kanan, The Last Padawan. Um, I'll be honest. We went from my least favorite to my most favorite, I think. Oh, really? I want to read more stories about Jedi on the run. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most compelling stories that are out there to tell in Star Wars because we never really get that with Obi-Wan. With Obi-Wan... He's just in hiding and he's in a place no one's ever going to look for him. And he's a Jedi master with Kanan overcoming the adversity of being 10 
and having to fend for himself in the galaxy makes it one of the most interesting books. But they had Greg Weissman, who was working on Rebels, uh, write these issues. And these are his first comics, but he displays a storytelling mastery over the medium I was really surprised by. I was invested. I liked seeing where Kanan's name came from. I liked seeing his reaction to Order 66 go down and kind of the horror of it. He almost goes through the stages of grief where it's like first he's in denial about it and then he he doesn't know what he's doing about it. So he's kind of depressed about it. And then he embraces, you know, this life of crime and then he has to leave it all behind him. Ultimately, I think it's a very interesting story. The art, uh, the Pepe Larraza, his art is just fantastic for this book. And it gives me more Clone Wars era, which is the only thing we're getting in this era uh, right now in the canon. Uh, Amy, your thoughts on uh, Kanan, the last Padawan. I'm going to try not to just repeat Brian, because again, this is my favorite Marvel comic, Star Wars comic right now. I think Pepe Larraza's art is so utterly emotional, Mm -hmm. and he does a tremendous job capturing the mood and expressions, and the combo of him and Greg Weissman, they create this story that even if I were not already invested in that time period, that's kind of my favorite time period within the Star Wars story it just gets under your skin and it's very visceral and it's very hard hitting and they bring so much to life on the page. And I love and hate seeing what Kanan goes through and losing his master. And it makes you understand so much more of the, so much more. It makes it clear the person he is in rebels. And when you think about other Jedi that that could have happened to other Padawans, it just breaks your heart. And I think it's a moving story. And they also find these great ways to put in like kind of a lighter moment. So you see where that cowboy side of Kanan evolved to or where it started. I mean, that's a lot to go through when you're that age. And it's really easy to put yourself into his shoes, even though you're not a Padawan, even though you're not forced into the, you know, like it's the kid who's lost and has to find his way pretty damn quickly and for survival. So I obviously am a fan. I'm gushing a little, but I think it's just a really well-written incredibly well-drawn story. Um, I do want to, since we just talked about Princess Leia, talk about the uh, the main couple of this book. How do you guys feel that relationship uh, works or maybe doesn't work? Uh, do, did either of you guys not buy into that or were you wholesale 100% on board uh, with Caleb's adventures uh, learning how to become a scoundrel? I was on board immediately. I liked Casimir, like the way he tolerated, like kind of took this guy and you could see that he had a tiny bit of sympathy for him and his situation Mm -hmm. and let him sleep and then fed him. And there's a panel that captures it so brilliantly from Caleb's perspective where he says, you know, this is a moment when your friend air quotes actually becomes your friend. Mm -hmm. And like they pinpointed it right there. And that was like, Oh, I completely, yes, I get this. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably the most remarkable part of uh, Greg Wiseman's writing ability. Um, and of course, Laraz's art is really helping. Again, I don't want to go back to the Disney well too much, but Laraz's art, and it sort of feels like, you know, like if Disney was allowed to, you know, do something for Toonami or something, that that's what this book kind of looks like. And Laraz's art really helps, but Wiseman really knows how to get you to understand a character without 
using exposition um, and not necessarily uh, through action sequences either. It's just he somehow manages to get you into that character's head without you realizing that you've occupied that space. You don't realize you're in that space until uh, you leave it. Uh, and that happens more than a few times uh, in The Last Padawan. So uh, what's the strongest element of uh, Kane in The Last Padawan uh, to you, Brian? Um, I think it's a little bit on what, what Amy was saying, and, and I think it's the reason that um, it's Anakin's favorite of the books, right? It's incredibly thrilling to watch someone that age, that smart, have to come out of a situation that virtually no other Jedi did. With my son, Anakin, he really tunes into like the whole how would I survive this? Like dinner conversations with him and his sister are almost always like, how would we survive in a zombie apocalypse? What weapons would we use? How would we do this? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what that's what he taps into when he's reading that book, watching it through the lens of like how my kids would react and how Caleb would react like that all works very beautifully for me. It's difficult to put into words, but my single favorite part is the way that Weissman and Loraza's storytelling comes together to make me to make I'm this is going to sound like I'm an ice cold like to make me feel because um, I am very much an emotional person I'm not dead inside but <laughs> they make me but it's the way that it catches me I think unawares that all of a sudden I'm just in Kanan's head or Caleb's head and I, like my gut is torn up and my heart hurts mm. and comics don't always grab me on that kind of deep level often. No, it's that. Alright, uh, let's go ahead and assign the final grades well, then. Art and story, I'm going to go with A's across the board, and overall, A's across the board for this one. Okay, so it's a, straight up, it's an A. It gets a big fat yeah. A. Alright, uh, Amy? Speaking of A. A pluses across the board. A pluses? Oh, you, so you think this art was actually better than the Dodson's art on, uh, on Princess Leia? It is more cohesive. Mm -hmm. uh, like where Dodson you kind of feel like he is putting pinups there and things. Mm -hmm. This feels much more cinematic. Yeah. It, it, I mean, with a, with a continuity. No, yeah. Well, it, it seems like it's being animated, even though it's standing still. And that's, that's a really, that's a really yeah. big compliment to give to any comics artist that you don't realize that the pictures aren't moving until you stop and, and make yourself look at the pictures again. It's like, Oh yeah, that's right. No, this is, this is just a comic. It's not, a, I'm not holding a piece of animation in my hands. It's just a comic. The pictures aren't moving. They just feel like they're moving. Straight A's for Kane and the Last Padawan. Uh, the next book, we'll just call it Star Wars, I guess. Let's just talk about that Star Wars book, you guys. Uh, the flagship, the one that broke all sales records so long as you don't count whether or not people actually bought the book and you don't count the fact that it got shipped out in a bunch of loot crates. Uh, it still sold a ton of comics and a lot of people have been reading it uh, even after that amazing uh, issue number one sales number. And people keep reading it. Yes, I mean, they keep buying it. It's still going back to reprints. Oh, no. I like... Uh, Star Wars comics, and I think we talked about this just recently, Star Wars comics, uh, Marvel, up until now, they have benefited the most from Disney owning Lucasfilm. Their comics division is just reaping the benefits. Anything with Star Wars on the front of it, anything recognizably Star Wars, is flying off comics book shelves right now. Um, yes, the loot crate thing helped inflate numbers. Uh, yes, a lot of the variants helped inflate numbers. But that does not take away from the fact that Star Wars comics are doing really, really well on the market right now, and people are still going back to their local comics store and making sure those Star Wars comics are in their boxes. Um, so let's talk about this first one. Uh, Amy. 
I feel pretty lukewarm to this. I actually kind of quit it after three issues and only caught up last night for yeah. this discussion. Huh. I just didn't care. Oh, what what, I, what made you tune out? It sounds like a grumpy old woman. I don't really like that Luke and Darth Vader had a run-in mm. before, you know, before Empire. Yeah. I feel like the references to the original trilogy, like, are just a little heavy-handed. I don't like that Boba Fett's in the picture. Yeah. I just, there's some things where it's like, um, why you don't really need to do that but there are that those nitpicky things aside mm-hmm. i think that jason aaron does a good job of capturing the voice of the character so i really like when han and leia are bantering back and forth in those first few issues i think that feels like an extension of the film mm-hmm. and not in a pandering way like in a natural way and i like cassidy i mean it's john cassidy yeah. his art's Pretty fantastic. Oh, most definitely. Um, one of my favorite, my favoriteest books of all time is Planetary. And that book, I mean, Warren Ellis is above and beyond on that book. He's out of his damn mind writing the stories for that. But uh, John Cassidy brings them to life in a way that I can't imagine Warren Ellis ever believed uh, his imagination would be realized. So, I mean, John Cassidy on a Star Wars book had me in from issue one automatically um it sounds like your problems with the book are sort of similar to uh my problems with that instagram tease earlier in that it, it's like yeah you could you could do what you're doing but you didn't have to yeah. i'm already in yeah. yeah you don't have to i don't need those little sometimes i need those pats in the back but when there are too many of them just like stop touching me like just <laughs> something Tell me something new. Tell me something different. I kind of want to like immediately go to your grade and just have it be stop touching me. <laughs> like the art gets an A and the story gets a stop touching me. Will you stop touching me? <laughs> Brian, what what are your uh, initial thoughts on the Star Wars comic? You know, it's I, rereading them and, and Vader. It's hard for me to separate um, Darth Vader from Star Wars because they're very much intertwining books, not just in the story context, but in that they're inverse of each other story-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think it's fascinating that Luke is trying to hold himself up to the ideal he has for his father. Yeah, And it didn't bother me that he and Vader had a run-in and it... I loved the moment, actually, when Vader takes his saber away. And looks down at it and realizes what it is. And that's beyond confusing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, why did oh, why did Kenobi give this to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that Vader's trying to, to discover this kid's identity. Um, and Luke is just trying to find his father. Like, this is what I love about the Vader book and the Star Wars book is that they're looking for each other. Luke doesn't realize he's looking for Darth Vader. And I really love that dynamic because I don't feel like it's something we've had out of Luke before. Yeah. Um, we got a taste of it in Heir to the Jedi, mm-hmm. but I didn't really gel with that book very well. As you get further into the book, I really loved Luke going back to Kenobi's hovel, hovel and trying to find some some idea of what mm-hmm. Kenobi was actually like trying to do with him. And, and that issue where we got to see one installment of the Ben Kenobi Western 
um, was riveting to me. Yeah. And, and I really appreciated that as well. I'm more with Amy on this. Like, the more that Jason Aaron tries to directly tie together Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader before the events of Empire Strikes Back, the more I'm kind of inclined to check out. Like, it doesn't quite work on me uh, the way I think he's intending it. But when we're, like, hanging out with Han and Leia and Sana, uh, and when we're dealing with stuff I, yeah. outside of outside of the whole Luke invader thing, I'm fine with the book like that flash like Luke going to find out what's up with Ben Kenobi after Ben Kenobi dies that I love that. I love that entirely. 100 percent. I think that's great. Um, it's just when Luke and Vader are focused not only the focus of the book but focused on each other while being the focus of the book that i'm like it, it feels forced in a way that a lot of the uh a lot of the dark horse comics used to feel forced um and a lot of the early expanded universe used to feel forced in the same sort of stop touching me way that you don't <laughs> that you don't really want it's you know stop trying to give me a massage like george bush and angela merkel like i don't want that massage i want good story and you don't need to go where you're going to give me a good story and that's proven by the fact that Aaron is nailing everything else around that whole Vader and Luke thing. Like if Luke was looking for answers on his own and Vader was looking for answers on his own in their own separate books and never the twain shall meet until we get to Empire Strikes Back. I think that might be a little bit more fulfilling. But when you're like, you know, straight out the gate, Luke's on a speeder hell towards darth vader and you're i'm like this is a little this is a little early i this does not feel earned amy your grades i will give the art an a yes and i will give the writing the uh c plus uh, with the art i think john cassidy's art is fantastic i think he's captured the likenesses of the characters well mm-hmm. and he's really got like a really cool dynamic motion to things like you were saying that that feeling that you're almost watching a cartoon rather than reading a comic book Mm -hmm. um so the art the art for me is very easily an a um the story i think i'm gonna go with like a b i think i'm i think i'm in a, a solid b range total overall i'd say b plus b plus uh i'm my my grades are exactly the same uh as amy's like i what Jason Aaron does well, he does really, really well. It's just I, that whole Luke and Vader thing is not playing, I think, the way he wants it to play. And it is sort of dragging down uh, the rest of the book. Um, when when Han and Leia are off having their adventures, uh, even when 3PO and R2 are doing their 3PO and R2 thing, like it's hard for me to buy into anything 3PO at all, period. I don't dislike 3PO. And that's a <laughs> that's a win. For you as a writer, if you can get me to not dislike 3PO, you've done a damn good job, sir. Uh, but unfortunately, the the Luke Vader thing uh, is not it's not up to snuff for me. So I'm I'm basically copying Amy's worksheet here. Uh, a for the art, C plus for the writing. So it sounds like the main Star Wars comic is going to get basically a B. Let's talk about Lando, the newest, the new kid on the block. Uh, Amy, what are you thinking about that Lando comic? You know, overall, I like it more than I expect to. And I say that because Lando is not always my favorite character because when he's overdone or over over swaggered, Mm -hmm. it's usually too much. And I think that's, for example, what happened in Rebels. But I think Charles Sewell has done a fair job of capturing his voice and capturing like the business side of Lando and the enterprising side without all without too much of the I am so smooth all the time and 
he doesn't overdo it. He finds a nice balance. And I really like Alex Malib's art in Lando. I feel like it's kind of softer. It's got like a dreamlike quality to it. It almost feels like you're reading the Western kind of this like heist Robin the bank and the dusty streets. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> but I, those elements really come together for me. Uh, do I need it to be Emperor Palpatine's ship that they stole? that's again kind of i'm like that's not a connection that i feel like i feel like that connection is forced yeah it does lead to some interesting things in the third issue which just came out this past week but i could do without it i was with amy a hundred percent until she was like i could have done without it being palpatine's ship Mm -hmm. because for me like the end of that first issue the punchline that that was the ship they stole was palpatine's ship sold the book for me it's like (laughs) if you're gonna raise the stakes yeah. On Lando bumbling his way through a heist, why not raise them all the way? <laughs> and Lando's the kind of guy who's constantly getting like, and this was, you know, we have that James Bond sequence where we see the very tail end of his last heist going down at the beginning of the book. He's kind of worked a way around it, but it's like obviously nothing has been ideal and he was able to talk his way out of it finally at the last second. And this is one of those situations where when you realize who it is he's crossed, there's not going to be any talking his way out of it. And I love that he's got Lobot with him. And I love that he has an Ugnot Antiquities expert with him. But that we know that he's there in charge of Cloud City. When the Empire shows up, they don't automatically destroy everything because they finally found the guy who stole Palpatine's ship it leads me to believe that Lando's going to come up with a brilliant way out of this. And I want to see that the art is really good. I really loved Alex Malieve's work on like daredevil mm-hmm. um, and, and other books like that. So it has a very street quality. And I think that's just right for Lando and he captures the likenesses in his style in a, in a very great way. That's, t- that's just how Alex Malieve do. Um, if you haven't read uh, Malieve and Bendis' run on Daredevil, um, especially if you're a big fan of the Marvel Daredevil show, uh, go out and grab those graphic novels. Grab them quickly. Grab them now. So I, I think so as good. we're going through this episode, we're showing a lot of our other nerd cards. <laughs> of Bobby. course. Yeah. Like, nobody sends me comic book news. It's all Star Wars <laughs> news. But I'd care just <laughs> as much about hearing what's going on with Daredevil. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've said since I, since I joined the show, I've said that... Um, you can't quite appreciate Star Wars uh, to its fullest if that's all you're consuming is Star Wars. You need to watch other movies. You need to read other books. And I don't just mean other sci-fi books uh, or other, you know, film tie-in novels. I mean, like, book books. I mean, comic comics. <laughs> I mean, film films. Like, you have got to sort of immerse yourself in all the myriad ways that stories can be told. Uh, and I don't just mean read Joseph Campbell uh, because Lucas won't stop name checking him. Uh, I mean, just drown yourself in story and get an appreciation for character and the way characters uh, can be made to bounce off of each other, become one another. Even music, like a good concept album can tell a story in a way that even the best directed film can't quite grab hold of your heart, you know? Um, So, yeah, Malieve on Bendis's Daredevil is some of the best comics art that's ever been done. And he does some really solid work on this Lando book. And Charles Sewell nails the voice of Lando. Unlike that episode of Rebels, uh, there are consequences to his actions. And he sweats the small stuff. He sweats the big stuff. 
he sweats a lot in these comics. Uh, and like we were talking about the, uh, the companionship at the center of the Princess Leia comic and the companionship at the center of the Kanan comic. The companionship between Lobot and Lando is like maybe my favorite thing in all of the Star Wars comics that have come out. I was not expecting that. I didn't expect it to play out the way it's playing out. Everything about it screams to me like a 70s detective movie uh, complete with, you know, the the sidekick that helps our detective out. Um, that's what Lobot is. Lobot's like that sidekick in a 70s crime flick. And I love He's that. John Cazale in... Uh Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, I have no problem with words. No, that's good. It's a good thing. It's a good. If you haven't watched Dog Day Afternoon, you should watch. That was actually a movie that was fairly ahead of its time, by the way. Uh, incredibly, incredibly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, should we just move to final grades on Lando? It sounds like. Uh, I mean, it, we're sort of giving Lando short shrift, kind of. I mean, but it's well, he's only got three issues out. Everything else has had an arc. Yeah, right. we're halfway through the arc. Um, we don't really know how it's going to wrap up. It's the newest of the books, but it's also I. I sort of feel like it's the one that has the least negatives to it. I don't know if I wasn't expecting to give Lando the highest grades, but I think that's what I'm going to end up doing. Um, I'll just go first. Uh, story A, art A. It gets it gets straight A's from me. Uh, I was not really expecting that until the words just fell out of my head. Uh, Amy, your grades? Oh, um, I'm going to go with B plus in both categories. All right. Okay. Um, and Brian? Um, story A, I'm really enjoying the story. Art, like I said, Maliev has a little bit of work to do in his uh, action storytelling and his sequentials. And so I'm going to go B plus because he just creates uh, an atmosphere that makes up for it. Mm. But he still has some craft to learn. Okay. So I gave it an A. You both gave it B pluses. Um, it'll get an A. Then. I gave it an A and a B plus. Okay. I'm the I'm the broker of peace here. Okay, yeah, you're the, you're the tipping point, buddy. <laughs> you're the tipping point. So Lando gets an A. And moving on to the final comic, Darth Vader, written by Kieran Gillen. I'll just go ahead and let you guys go first because I think all the listeners know. Like I don't even really have to weigh in on this one. All the listeners have heard me uh, multiple times bring up that this is the Star Wars comic I'm the most disappointed in. Uh, but you guys, I think, look on it a little bit more favorably. Uh, Amy, your thoughts on the Darth Vader comic? Hey, overall, I enjoy it. Again, kind of with Lando, Darth Vader is not a character I really expect to... That's not like if I'm picking between a Darth Vader book and a Leia book. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be all about Leia, but I like Darth Vader more. And... I think some of the context comes in because of Lord of the Sith too and seeing that relationship with him and Palpatine and I like the initial, you know, outset at the at, at the outset of the book, it's Palpatine saying, like, Look, Mater, you you screwed up. Like you're the only living person I can blame for the Death Star fiasco. And I like seeing Vader have to pay for that. I also like seeing the flashbacks that he uh sorry that Kieran Gillen works in where he occasionally has those memories when he found out Skywalker's last name and he has the vision of Padme and the grass cracked. I thought the execution of that across the board was very moving and maybe maybe it was too heavy-handed, but overall the moving aspect like won out. Things I don't really care for, I don't really care for the copy of essentially 3PO and R2-D2. The broken sort of versions or the edgier, I don't know. Like that doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I like Afra though. I don't know that I buy her relationship with Vader. I don't think Vader would really be anybody alive that, that he worked with like that. Mm-hmm. But I like the character. So I'm I'm middle of the road with with a few high points, I guess. All right, Brian. I really love the consequences that Vader is suffering 
in his relationship with Palpatine. I love his quest for Luke. I don't understand what the hell Palpatine is doing with those weird clone Cylon things. <laughs> um, that lost me. Um, uh, I don't want to say it's my favorite book of all of these because it's not, but it has had my favorite moments in the comic, if that makes sense. Um, I really loved watching, and I know you didn't like this, Bobby, but I liked watching Vader go into Jabba's palace and go through the same situations that Luke did. That was, and, a, for the record, a stop touching me moment for me. Yeah, yeah. that was the what? Stop touching that me. That was a stop touching me. Oh. Stop. Um, but to watch <laughs> Vader, ha- like, Vader casually, like, step off the Rancor plate and say, like, yeah, not going to happen. I really love Afra, And I really love how, so I, I guess maybe I just get a different read on Afra, but she seems like she has the weight of Ahsoka on her shoulders and she doesn't even know it. Like I call this like the Belloc version of the heroes of the rebellion, right? Like, so you've got Vader who's this shadowy reflection of Luke. You've got Afra who's sort of the stand in for Han and Leia. You've got the droids and Vader's putting together this team and he's looking for Luke the same way Luke is looking for his father. And the two moments that I loved absolutely more than anything in this book and in all the comics were Vader's meeting um, on Tatooine. And the other is him realizing that he has a son. And the other thing I really loved, and this is something that I hope gets explored later, was the genocide of Geonosis. It's offering a lot of tantalizing hints about what's going on in the galaxy elsewhere that we're not getting from any of the other books. Having said that, there's some stuff in there I just don't understand why. Like um, we have Yeah, we haven't talked about uh, Salvador Larocca's art. Uh, what do you guys think of the art um, on the book? I've always had a complicated relationship with Larocca. Like mm-hmm. he's done some of my favorite stuff and some of my absolute least favorite stuff. Yeah, and Larocca is one of those guys where it absolutely depends on who's inking him or whether he's being inked at all. Yeah, his his artwork is working for me on this. Okay, Amy, your thoughts on the art? I feel like he handles, given that we can't see Vader's face and a lot of his expression has to be communicated by either his inner thoughts or his stance and posture. Mm -hmm. I feel like he does a tremendous job at making me understand what Vader is feeling or thinking, considering that I can't, you know, that the only visual cues I have are what he's giving me. He's doing some pretty decent work with a lot of constraints being put on him. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, move to grades. Brian, your grades. Um, You know, I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give it B's. Yeah. Like I, a, a B minus for art and a B for the the writing. I think I'm going to copy Brian. I'm going to go B minuses on both art and story. Okay. Um. And uh, unfortunately, I'm going to pull his grade point down. Uh, I think the writing is a D, and the art's a B. Overall, this gets a C minus. Just narrowly escapes the D. Just narrowly escapes it. I think that it's a good thing where like our mm-hmm. baseline, the lowest we're getting, mm-hmm. is in an aggregate level, a C. Yeah. And even the stuff that we might not like as much, it all has a weight to Star Wars to it. It feels like it means something, uh, at least for itself. I don't need my stories, and you guys have heard me say this before, I don't need my stories to play into the larger movies in a very meaningful way in order to make them count more. I just need them to work as stories on their own. Uh, And most of these 
do. Um, Vader is probably the least of which. But most of these sort of create their own universe inside the pages of their comic uh, and adhere to it and tell interesting stories within that framework. Um, and on that basis, I think the Marvel Comics run so far has been very successful. Um, and maybe uh, my mind will change a little bit on the Vader comic when it crosses over with the Star Wars comic. And maybe this interview that Brian had with writer Kieran Gillen will sort of change my perspective. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to that, and maybe if you feel the same way I do about Darth Vader, it'll change yours as well. I like asking this of people, especially those involved with Star Wars. Uh, what was your first exposure to Star Wars in general? Some people have had uh, a bit of merchandising, other people have been the actual movies, and I'm wondering for you specifically what that was. That's the, I'll tell you, it's sort of the thing that draws a lot of the men who are working on the Star Wars comics together, actually, in terms of we're exactly the right age to have seen uh, the, you know, the first series of movies in the cinema as they were coming out. I mean, um, for me, my very first uh, movie I saw in a cinema was uh, Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, so in other words, that's the first time I have, at least I have any memory of going into a cinema and, and watching a movie, which kind of makes, um, it's one of the things that makes writing it so really weird. <laughs> in terms of, you know, writing Darth Vader is like the original idea of what uh, evil looks like, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sense, it's, re- it's really kind of big, formative, in your gut kind of stuff. You know, and Star Wars was, the, was one of the major things that made me fall in love with uh, pulp and science fiction and fantasy in the first place. So, um, yeah, that's my first memory, which is like going to the cinema. And I have these kind of strange, me- I believe I was on holiday down south of England. Um, and I've got vague memories of somehow them projecting with laser lights, TIE fighters going around the wall. Uh-huh. And I'm, before, the, before it came on, and I'm not sure if it was just disco lights. I'm not sure if it was like my you know, three or four year old imagination going crazy. Because uh, I've never heard anyone else tell me anything similar. But uh-huh. I, I remember that so strongly. Or I might just be getting confused with the... Um, uh, Star Wars arcade cabinet, the Vector Machine, which uh-huh. I was similarly obsessed over. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how much, I guess, did, did Star Wars inform your journey into comics uh, before you even got the gig? That's interesting. I mean, as I said, it's kind of more formative mm-hmm. in terms of, like, uh, I came into comics as an adult, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of... Um, uh, most people, I think, who at least work in the kind of, like, what we describe the mainstream comics... Um, are kind of lifers, not very good. You know, the idea that they got the comics at a young age and then carried on all the way through. And I, you know, I read comics as a kid, like most people in the, in the, at least in the UK, but I um, sort of fell about it during my teenage years. I mean, I was always kind of like semi-interested in the form, you know, and I kind of liked the characters. Um, but in terms of what, uh, what was got my attention, it was like a lot of game stuff and a lot of music stuff and a lot of uh, being very British and going out and drinking too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I got into comics uh, in my 20s. Like, I, I fell into comics hard. Um, like When I was 25, I went from somebody who read maybe one or two trades a year to somebody who was in the shop every week and within six months was doing his own like small press books. Um, so in terms of how Star Wars influences, it's kind of right. The, um, it's formative, you know, is the best way of putting it, in terms mm-hmm. of what my vocabulary about pulp fiction and fantasy and science fiction is. Is my best way of describing it. It's the same way. It's pretty much the same way Tolkien influenced me. Mm-hmm. You know the idea that these are kind of like really built, like the fundamental building blocks of how I, um, uh, of, of the generation of writers I am. You know, there's a, and there's certainly a lot more influences, and you see stuff pitting together, and you know, the, there's certainly more weird stuff. You know what I mean? But in terms yeah. of like the straight 
um, populist, the, um, j- the joyous release of it all. That's kind of where Star Wars took me, I guess. Um, uh, as um, you went through to work, I mean, I'm sure when you when you sat down and and worked on when you got ready to work on, say, the X Men, you kind of absorbed a lot of X Men. But as far as Star Wars comics goes you kind of stepped in at a spot where maybe you didn't necessarily need to do that. And I'm wondering if there was any, if there were any Star Wars comics that, that informed you at all, if any, if you'd caught any before, or, or if you decided you were going to come in fresh on, on Darth Vader. Yeah. I mean, the only influence I would say would be negatively. As in, I deliberately read the uh, Brian, uh, Brian Wood's doc, um, horse Star Wars series uh-huh. because it was it was dealing with a similar period to us, so I was kind of making sure that I didn't. If we hit any similar beats, we hit them in a different way. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was making sure that we were something interesting and novel and not just retreading it, despite being in the same period. Yeah, um, you know what I mean? Uh, and you sort of tell by the way we do it. We kind of always had a one of the actual the formative influences of, of the of, of the comics me and Jason were doing was we wanted to feel like Star Wars. Yeah. And by which I mean, it's like, we didn't want it to feel like comics, adaptations of Star Wars. We kind of wanted to have that level of sort of widescreen swagger. <laughs> yeah. You know? So our major influences were very much the movies. You know, I, we, I, um, you know, in fact, the fact that, you know, the extended universe has been moved into Legends means the canon is so much smaller. Yeah. So I, I basically, I went and had a very, very, very close reading of especially the movies. Um, so I was, I just sat there with notepads and kind of sort of questioned everything. In that kind of like, what are we really seeing here? What does this mean? What what kind of? How would you genuinely feel about that? You know, that kind of like critical deconstructionary eye, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where a lot of the um, that, that that kind of like, and that's especially important for me because I'm writing Darth Vader, and you can't write Darth Vader without writing Anakin. Um, yeah. You know, and that's the idea that, that these are one person who are who had a transformative experience, but the kind of the the building blocks. You know, you know, I, earlier I was doing a kind of metaphor about. Um, you know, Star Wars being this kind of fundamental like building block of me. Yeah, you know, Anakin's a fundamental building block of Darth Vader. Um, um, I'm wondering how the process works for you. I mean, you and Jason Aaron obviously have stories that are pretty closely intertwining, uh, and doubly so uh, coming up. Um, how do you work on the stories, and how does it differ uh, coming up with stories for this? And having to work through the story group at Lucasfilm versus what you had to do for uh, any other Marvel characters. It's that's interesting. The thing with the story group, and I, I kind of find most interesting of it is how ambitious what they're trying to do is. As they, okay, let's really try to keep the canon straight. And there's not, I can't think of many thing people have tried to do something on something as big as Star Wars. And the Marvel situation with canon is there's so many books coming out every month. That it's canon is like a hedgerow, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, 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 and it's constantly rebooting. It's this level of like flexibility to it, and the idea of like different characters have very different takes on them depending on where they are. It, as you know, I said my best metaphor is a hedgerow, and uh, at least what the story group, from my perspective, they seem to be doing is trying to make it like um, a kind of beautiful ornate garden, like a stately home, like something that they've planned. And the idea of okay, if somebody's doing something over here, we want it to mirror over here, and that's been. Um, I think the interplay has been one of the most interesting thing about it in terms of the, like, I quote, like it's something I would never do at a Marvel script or at least not often would be that, um, 
I would write something like, okay, I'm going to do a villain group here. I've, I've got this kind of idea for a gangster. However, if you think there's any other gangster who might be in this area of space, who might be useful to use elsewhere in the canon, tell me. You know what I mean? Yeah, As yeah. A norm, I, I, wouldn't, I would never write that. Please give me a suggestion for a supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in the case of, you know, because I would, I would view that's not really what you would do at Marvel. Uh, I suppose, and here that, that is kind of part of it. And in terms of, like, what we actually do, it's much like... You know, we've been to the story group like a few times and we go out there and we meet them and we pitch our ideas and then they say yes or you can do this or no, you can't do that and why. Um, you know, it's the give and take. It's when I'm, most I'm very much happy. Um, I, you know, especially early on, I, I pitched stuff I knew I probably wasn't going to get because I wanted to see where the limits were. So in other words, it's not really a surprise when they say no. Yeah. But they've said yes to a lot more, you know, they've, mostly they've said yes because it's kind of like, whilst I push it, you, you never actually do anything that's obscenely out of character you know especially for what me and jason are doing i mean especially me but it's um darth vader starts here darth vader ends here and anything that moves darth vader from that ca- implied character arc between the two movies mm. is not something i would ever pitch <laughs> you know it's, i'm not gonna have darth vader going on a disco adventure or something yeah. well and that's that's interesting um about darth vader in the change um not a lot of people seem to pay i i mean people i talk to who are casual fans or whatever don't really notice how different vader is between the movies where in a new hope he's he's very restrained in empire he's much more vicious and in return of the jedi he's much more reflective um and uh you're exploring that space in a really interesting way and i'm wondering how your reading of the two movies um affected that thank you um that for me that's that's the meat book i mean that's kind of like the challenge you see Vader, and you think logically he is one of the sole survivors of the biggest military disaster of all time. And next time we see him, he's he's a fleet commander. He's got you know enormous superstar destroyer, and he's going around. He's very clearly a man who is not somebody's lackey. He would certainly make an argument that he you know he was an interesting lackey, but he was kind of somebody who took orders. He was somebody you know in this in Empire. He just starts you know he's a lot more free with the force chokes. Is a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't the first one. It's kind of like, you know, uh, would anyone risk insulting Vader? And that's the reason why Vader false choked in the first movie, because he was insulted. Um, in the second one, no one even dares do that. Uh, so there's an implied... And, you know, it's kind of, as I said, it's counterintuitive. He's like the, the sole survivor of like a complete disaster. So how come he's in such a better position, relatively speaking, in the second, you know, in Empire? Yeah? Yeah. Um, and for me, that that's kind of like, okay, let's dig into that. And for me, it was a, as a, as a fall and rise story there. The idea that he, he would have lost status. And the question is, what would he have done to regain status? And how would he reprove himself? And how would he, you know, be the person? And of course, at the same time, we've also got the second element that um, this is when he realizes he has a son. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of, and that's, that's the other thing. And the, you can't underestimate that because basically the last 20 years of my life have been a lie. And that is enormous. How? Um, so between hmm? oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. And so between the two, that's you get the, you get a quite an immediate, quite a powerful idea for a character journey. As in, he's kind of essentially this. He's realised the emperor has not been as truthful with him as he might have expected. But there's also the sense that the emperor is also treating him quite badly because the thing you also must remember is that was you know that was a long term plan of the emperor is build build a. You know, yes, take over the Empire. We keep the Senate around for like 20 years. It's only just been dissolved before New Hope. <laughs> um, and now, but we don't need the Senate anymore because now we've got the Death Star. You know, the plan was, you know, basically have Senate until we have the Death Star, but now they don't have the Death Star. So the Empire is arguably unstable at this period. It must be. Um, that's hence why the Senate would strike back in the next movie. 
Yeah. Um, so you know what I mean? All that kind of there's a, there's an interesting implied political background. There's interesting character arcs, and there's interesting drama and tension. You know, and that for me, that's kind of um, it was a very it, it felt good when I realised I had all that because the what you dread is. You don't want to be doodling in the margins. That's occasionally okay what you. That's what you don't want to be doing in any story. It has to feel like this matters. That there is a reason why I'm telling you this story. It's not just to you know sell comics. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's kind of the. That's probably the, the most intimidating thing about doing it. The idea, yes, you are. I'm filling in an interesting and important part of canon, and I have to essentially repay everything the movie gave me as a four year old. You know what I mean, well, that's that's kind of my next question. As you go back, um, I mean, obviously, you you could. You could say you're a lifelong fan where it doesn't sound as though you even remember life before Star Wars. And how does your viewing of The Empire Strikes Back differ now than it did before you got this gig, knowing that you're shading meaning in that movie? I'm... That's interesting. I mean, it's, um, I know I said this, I'm trying to essentially repay that four-year-old. Um, and it's, like, it's worth stressing, you know, I've had a, like, an up-and-down relationship with Star Wars. Like, I think most fans have, in many ways. <laughs> you know, there's been times I've loved it more, there's times I've loved it less. Uh, but, you know, I still always shiver at a Star Wars sound effect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I kind of... On some level, I don't think I've quite processed I'm writing Star Wars. Like, I think, if I think I kind of realised in my gut what I was doing, I would freeze. <laughs> you know? That um, makes absolute sense. You know, and, and as it is, it's... You know, I write quite a few books, right? Like book for Image and other places. And Star Wars is the most, you know, sorry, Darth Vader is the most fun I have writing. You know, I sit there and I, um, you know, I, I get out of bed and run downstairs when I think of a really good way for Darth Vader to kill somebody. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it, it, I have a lot of fun with just sitting there with the scripts. Um, in fact, you know, uh, which surprised me. I thought it'd be really hard work. You know, in terms of like, you know, the, the negotiation with the story group and the fact that it, there was so much like expectations on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but the fact I am kind of like having so much fun with it makes me think on some level I must be in denial. <laughs> on the other hand, people seem to be really into what I'm doing as well. So it's like I also don't want to jinx it. <laughs> don't question the muse. <laughs> um, so for I think I think that's uh, a great primer for for moving into the next phase, and we can uh, kind of get into the weeds on the prequels for the Star Wars Insider piece if that's okay. Unless there's anything else you want to say, um, and actually uh, I can edit this part, but if uh, for people who haven't checked out the comic before we transition into the next part, for people who haven't checked out the comic, why do you think um, this would be important for Star Wars fans to check out? I mean, I think the reason why the Star Wars books have gone down so well, and Vader especially, is this is stuff you haven't really seen. This is part of the canon. It's an implied interesting story of Darth Vader. As in, like, you know, this is a, a gap, and this is a gap for anyone who really liked Vader is worth filling. And it's kind of like part of the, the cool thing about the book is it's not really like Darth Vader having a little wine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of explicitly, we keep Vader at a distance. I mean, um, the, the kind of the cool magic of the book, at least for me, is whilst we kind of get insights into why Vader might be doing stuff, you're de- never really sure. You're kind of nervous around him. And that, that's what I think is most interesting. It is very much a villain book. Um, uh, you know, we don't have anything to soften Vader. And you kind of, and they're all kind of sympathetic characters around him. And you're kind of scared for them, because you suspect it's not going to end well for anyone who actually chooses to work with him. All right, and with that wonderful interview with Kieran Gillen done and over with, the show is now done and over with. Uh, Back to school, kids.
and at the end of the school week, you get a reward. You get a whole bunch of Star Wars toys. You get some Star Wars books. Maybe we'll get a Star Wars trailer. Who knows? Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't get it till October. Maybe JJ is just going to sit back on his ivory tower made of polished stormtrooper helmets and cackle at us like some sort of video game villain. <laughs> but what you will get yes. are new comics. Mm-hmm. Shattered Empire starts mm-hmm. uh, next week. And uh, you're going to get a book. Our first glimpse at the post-Return of the Jedi era. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I believe next episode we might be talking about that book. Um, we, we might be. Yeah, we might maybe even review it a little. Um, I'm not quite maybe. sure. Maybe. Maybe. So uh, I would suggest if you're planning on buying Aftermath and you are a listener to this fine, fine show, um, you devour Aftermath as fast as you can. <laughs> See if you can pound that down in four days. Um, and uh, we'll get at you uh, Sunday and or Monday. And uh, I believe Brian and Amy and uh, hopefully Mike will be back by then. And myself, we'll, we'll have a little something, something to talk about the uh, the aftermath of Force Friday and the aftermath of Aftermath itself. Uh, Amy, tell us about you and things that you've got in the pipeline, your busy, busy pipeline, because you write everything. All the things. Uh, well, I write a lot in shorter bursts on Twitter. You can follow me there, Amy underscore geek. And I have some stuff, as usual, coming up on StarWars.com and Nerdist. Very cool. Brian? Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at SwankMotron. Uh, I've got some books that are going. I've got a, a book of space opera short stories that's going to be going up for pre-sale in the next week or two uh, that hopefully people should look for. It's called Escape Vector. Mm-hmm. And you can look at my writing website for news about that. That's BrianYoungFiction.com. And uh, I've got... Stuff coming out on StarWars.com, and I've got a whole slew of Star Wars Insider stories coming that I can't wait to talk to you about. The Karen Gillan interview we just heard, only the tip of the iceberg about stuff we, we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked for about an hour with just this 15 minutes dedicated for Full of Sith, and the rest you're going to see an Insider soon enough. Very cool, very cool. Oh, and uh, you guys, uh, if you want to find me, I'm eminently findable on the Facebooks, especially through the Full of Sith Facebook. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of kicking around the idea of just one of these days uh, during the week, uh, probably when it's really slow at my work and my bosses don't realize that I'm just screwing around. Um, I might just open up uh, just a free discussion thing. Just like, you want to talk to me about Star Wars? I want to talk to you about Star Wars. Let's just BS about Star Wars at work. <laughs> and maybe I'll maybe I'll kick that off this week. Who knows? I'll just go ahead and get at me. And I think that should close us out for this week. So on behalf of my co-hosts, Amy Ratcliffe, Brian Young, uh, and uh, Mike, who will hopefully be back next week, I am Bobby Roberts. May the Force be with you. Always. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.